Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Muddy News Media. Hello and a warm welcome to the Offside Rule with Football Manager. It's me, Kate Borsay, here to bring you some light relief in these football-less days. Fear not. I can't do it alone, though. Joining me today, my trusty duo, my sidekicks, my forever friends. It's super-duper jigsaw trooper Lindsay Hooper. (laughs) I haven't done one for a while, actually. (laughs) We'll have to remedy that. And the muck mummy herself, it's Hayley McQueen. Oh, thanks, man. BFFs forever. <laughs> Hayley, I need to know how the Insta exercising is getting on. Uh, your hashtag push my limits challenge. Mm-hmm. How's it been going and have you been keeping it up? Do you know what I have? And I've su- surprised myself because I'm one of those people that has all good intentions of doing something and then gives up halfway through and thinks, well, it doesn't really matter and um, goes back to eating cake, chocolate and biscuits. But because the weather's been so nice, we have all been so blessed that it's meant that, I guess, the self-isolation period hasn't been quite as as bad as it could have been. I'm so lucky that I've got a little garden and we've been out every two days doing those exercises. And at the end of the day as well, going for a massive big walk through the forest just to get out the house and out of our back garden, which has been good fun. Carrying the baby on my front as well. So I'm three and a half stone down. And I'm back to pre-baby weight. Not that weight matters, but no, uh, yeah, but I'm quite proud it, of myself. Thanks, girls. Yeah, absolutely. It's about being proud, feeling good, getting out wherever you can. We know Lindsay Hooper's been staying in um, doing jigsaws, but you've had a bit of a uh, bit of an absence from those hoops. So what on earth have you been amusing yourself with? Yeah, my first week without one. Oh, goodness me. Okay, so you're almost almost on with withdrawal away from the jigsaw puzzles. I am. Um, Yeah, technology has been keeping me busy. I have been trying to get to grips with iMovie. Um, If you've got a Mac, you you might have it on yours. And I've started putting little clips together. And I actually found a gem because I was going through some old discs just to have a play and see if I could edit a few things together. And I found an old clip from when I used to present the FAWSL show on ESPN and then BT. Can't remember which one this was on, but it was a very early show when Casey Stoney and Sue Smith used to play for Lincoln City, and I interviewed them in the dressing room. And so this is nearly ten years old, and all I'm going to say is they've aged better than I have. <laughs> I've seen it, and Sue Smith's hair remains to this day absolutely immense. It's a great clip. Of course, she's now seen on Sky Sports, isn't she, Sue? And she's been a friend of the podcast for years. Um, as has Casey Stoney. They've both done really well in their careers since then. Um, talk of staying in actually hoops um have you been catching up with Diogo Jota he uh, has been playing football manager um training Telford United and is already in the 2029 season which I thought was pretty impressive yeah he's done brilliantly I saw that I wonder why he chose Telford United (laughs) I don't know perhaps it's something about the underdogs he's away from all his family isn't he who are over in Portugal and um football manager keeping a lot of people amused including us as well Um, and our thanks to them for supporting us here on the show players together now this hashtag started trending on Wednesday evening because lo and behold Premier League footballers aren't quite the greedy selfish money fueled people that we might or our health secretary Matt Hancock might think they are it's a brilliant initiative just hoops just explain a little bit about what footballers are going to be doing 
They've they've all lobbied together and they've they've actually decided that a proportion of their their wages and money is going to be don- donated towards uh, NHS charities. It is absolutely fantastic that they've done this. I understand that Jordan Henderson had a lot to do with it, but of course it's all Premier League players that have all released statements about it. Uh, to get that collective effort must have taken some doing and also would have taken some time. So if you think about the last couple of weeks and how much has been levelled at them as a group, this is something they will have been talking about probably since the beginning. And I do think that now, I hope that a lot of people that were pointing fingers at footballers, let, you know, let's put clubs and groups greedy owners to one side because I think that's a separate conversation but when it started getting leveled at the players I don't know about you two but I started getting quite defensive of them because they hadn't really had chance to announce what they were doing a few of us did know they were working on something and then you've got hedge fund owners and bankers and yet the only people that were called out were footballers. Yeah, I, I totally agree and obviously we we saw the, the negative headlines about how the PFA um they'd felt hadn't come together with the, the football clubs to try and do sort of a, a cap of, of wages across the board. But I mean, Gordon Taylor, yeah, he's not cutting his salary. He has donated half a million pounds, though, to the NHS and uh, various charities right now. And I'd already read before that, as, as we I think we discussed on, on a previous podcast, uh, couple of weeks ago a lot of the charities that footballers had been giving to out of their own pocket I know a lot overseas had done that in Italy and France and Ronaldo getting involved as well and and there are quite a few footballers that I know of Um, there's one in particular it hasn't even made the headlines but he has personally donated to a local hospital I think Ronaldo's built two wings of of a hospital in Portugal right now but a lot of focus goes on the big name players who are giving big amounts of cash but there are other players who've been doing it in their own way and just haven't gone shouting about it well we'll talk more about footballers and doing good things towards the end of the show just a couple of quick coronavirus headlines though to update all of you listeners on if you've not seen them so far Liverpool have made a U-turn on furloughing their staff with the government's job retention scheme we're still waiting to see if Spurs or Newcastle will do the same Southampton they've become the first Premier League club to announce their players will defer part of their salaries I think that's about three months that they're doing that and that's uh, manager Ralph Harsenhutl and his staff as well as the board of directors um, are getting involved in that one. FIFA, they're looking at extending the season indefinitely. Uh, that's to help leagues complete their seasons. We're still, of course, waiting for more news on that one. It's just too early to say, isn't it? Although Bundesliga players have started training again, they're observing so distancing. They're expected to find out on April the 17th whether Bundesliga might well start again. So it could restart. That, of course, would be the first of Europe's top leagues to do so. Um, And finally, Gareth Southgate and Phil Neville have taken 30% pay cuts um, to help out as well in terms of um, costs floating around um, and there being no football at the moment. Of course, all that's developing and I'm sure that we'll hear lots more about other initiatives and other players and management doing things for themselves as well. It's not just about coronavirus, though, isn't it, today, ladies? It's a bit of escapism for us as well as we indulge in a few of our favourite footballing stories. They could be present, they could be past. And today we're going to have a countdown theme. Now, are you any good at countdown, first of all, Hayley? That would be a big fat no. (laughs) See, I used to love it. I used to be all over the countdown conundrum um, and I used to like doing the the working out as well, using when you pick your big number and small number. Yep, watched it for years. 
<laughs> I've just heard Hayley McQueen drop her pen. I hope that you're not on countdown soon for the family. In shock. <laughs> Can't just drop your pen. I am going to set you a challenge, though, ladies. If you've got a pen and paper ready, this will be very quick. Oh, God. Okay. Can you write down the letters lot of bow and tell me what word I'm looking for? Lot of bow. L-O-T-O-F-B-A-L. Lot of bow. Football. Well done, Lindsay Hooper. I could see through my video link the look of utmost concentration on Hayley McQueen's face. Okay, well, perhaps you won't do so bad with our countdown special today. Uh, We're doing a numbers round. This week that comes in the form of digits on the back of shirts and what they really mean to some players. And then, lastly, we're going to head over to Dictionary Corner for the start of our Offside Rule book club. How exciting. Uh, It may be a bank holiday, but we're still on Jack Radio. Good Friday. Tune in at four o'clock. Okay, well, let's get stuck into our first countdown topic as FIFA continues to grapple with what it's going to do about the season and the transfer window. We're looking at some of the players who will be looking for short-term contracts or maybe a short-term move somewhere else. So I want to know who's out of a job come July the 1st and will they stay or will they go? Let's go to you first, Linz. I'm going to throw in Ryan Fraser first at Bournemouth because Arsenal had been hovering Um, So we believed in the last transfer window, but he stayed at Bournemouth. But from being there quite a few times this season, I did get the impression that Ryan Fraser is ready for a move. No official sources. It's just a a feeling that I was getting. So 23 league appearances this season. I have heard that he's quite isolated. Uh, Maybe he's just that sort of person that likes his own company. But I think he probably will go somewhere. It may well be Arsenal in the summer. So Ryan Fraser to kick us off. Oh, okay. Hayley, who are you going to go with? I have a player who went back to a club uh, on a big dream move, but um, hasn't quite worked out. And I absolutely don't think a new deal is going to be on the table for Andy Carroll. Again, things just keep happening to him with regards injury. He's had so much bad luck. And I think we're just waiting for the news as to whether he's going to retire, head to the MLS or even venture bravely to China. But... If he obviously goes, who do they get in to replace him? And one man who lots of clubs have got their eye on, including Atletico Madrid, I think Manchester United were even linked with him, as well as Valencia and Sevilla, Alfredo Morelos of Rangers. Yes, he has a disciplinary problem, uh, but if he's up there in Newcastle in the northeast and he's uh, obviously under the right manager who can help him with that, um, I think he will thrive up there. He's uh, scored 28 goals for Rangers so far this season, and I think they are pretty much resigned to losing him as well. He's been a joy to watch um, when I was covering the Scottish football and he's very consistent with his goals, but he's also very consistent with his uh, sending off. So that could be a big problem. He probably just needs to work under a different manager who can maybe get the best out of him there. We can't really talk about this topic, can we, without mentioning Spurs, but also Chelsea, really, in terms of the fact that they've got four players there, four major players for the club whose contracts end on June the 30th. William being one of them, unlikely, um, he said to himself that he'll re-sign. He's after a three-year contract. He's 31. Uh, Instead, Chelsea have only offered him two years. He's been linked with Barcelona, Juve, Arsenal, Tottenham. Um, 
But in terms of the others, I think Pedro pretty much off. Woody Caballero, hard to say what's going to happen there. Obviously, he is getting on a bit, but could he provide still uh, an, a valuable asset um, to the side in terms of their goalkeepers. And interestingly, Olivier Giroud hoops is someone um, who we thought wanted away. In fact, he did want away in January, but he seems to have reversed his take on that a little bit. He has. And maybe he came to his senses that Inter Milan was not the club to go and try and get more minutes. In fact, if you look at since he stayed at Chelsea, he's actually had more opportunity under Frank Lampard than I think he thought he would. And certainly than I think he would have done if he'd have gone and and worked under Antonio Conte. So um, I think for Olivier Giroud, it's about patience. I, I do think that a club like Crystal Palace, for instance, would really suit him. You look at London clubs that maybe need a striker that are just that little bit further down the table and he could really provide a, a service for them he's a very good striker he's just obviously getting towards more the the twilight of his his career I have to say though he's benefited hasn't he because of Tammy Abraham's injury issues so it's looked quite rosy in this period before the season was suspended because Tammy Abraham wasn't wasn't playing so much so I think for him it entirely depends how much football he's going to play and if, ta- if Tammy Abraham's back and fit again does that mean that he once again doesn't get enough game time. Yeah, and there's always an element of luck with these situations. You cannot forecast who's going to get injured and when your opportunity is going to come. And that often is the case as well for goalkeepers. When you mentioned Caballero, you know, you never know when you're going to get that chance to stand up um, and go in first choice, which he's had recently. Um, I'm going to round off with another one that I think will go away and then go to Haley, and then we'll come back for a couple that I think might stay put that are out of contract. So my last one, Leighton Baines at Everton, 35 garnering a lot of interest from MLS clubs. I think that he'll be off to the United States. He's got the haircut for it. Um, Looks like a rock star already. So I I think Leighton Baines will go to the MLS. So you have to look like a rock star to go to the MLS or in LA Galaxy specifically or maybe New York. Yeah, one of those. I can just see him going there. Can you? Yeah, quite possibly. And do you know what? I would if I was him. Hell, hell yeah. Um, You mentioned goalkeepers and I'm just going to butt in with, I know I'm mentioning kind of has-beens here and I'm sorry to say that Joe Hart is a bit of a has-been. Burnley, of course, um, let him go. It's been a a little bit sad for the England former number one. Loris Karius has been the number one at Besiktas and he's been a total flop. So he moved there thinking he was going to be the number one. Could Joe Hart be on his move to maybe go and um, take on another club with Besiktas because I don't think any English club is going to touch him. I don't know what you think about that. That isn't a bad shout. Um, Whilst you mentioned goalkeepers, are you both aware of Ben Foster's situation? He's out of contract this summer with Watford. Surely he gets another deal because he's so synonymous with, with Watford. He's also pretty much a local hero now, isn't he? Yeah, I think they'd be absolutely mad uh, to let him go. And I think he'd definitely be a real catch for another club. <laughs> Do you know who I'm really excited about the prospect of coming to the Premier League? That's Mario Götze. Plays for Borussia Dortmund. He's only 27. It feels like he's been around for so long because he was a bit of a World Cup hero, wasn't he, all those years ago? But he's only made six starts this season for Dortmund and his prospects aren't really getting any better. According to German newspaper Bild, his uh, chances of leaving are strong. Neither side um, have really come out and definitively said, I want to stay or I want him to stay. He's not in favour. He's also rejected a salary reduction to stay at Dortmund as well. 
well. He's been linked to several clubs, Everton, West Ham, Hertha Berlin, LA Galaxy, Roma, Cologne. He's come out and said he wants to rejoin Klopp by going to Liverpool. But I just think it would be brilliant to see a talent like him and he is still an underrated talent. He's capable of great things, but you get the feeling that either he's not been able to work properly with the manager there at Dortmund or he's just not, he's basically lost his way a little bit. He's still talented. And if someone um, out there, a manager out there can get the best out of him, then he could really tear up the Premier League. Finally, John Lundstrom and Matty Longstaff are two names I'm going to throw in because they've been big names this season um, in the Premier League. Uh, John Lundstrom has been brilliant for Sheffield United. Apparently, he's in talks. I can't see him moving anywhere else, especially after the season that Sheffield United have had. And the other one being Matty Longstaff at Newcastle, who scored on his debut against Manchester United back in October, but he's only 20 years old. And apparently, the club like want desperately uh, to tie him down to a very long-term deal if they can. I just want to finish up by saying it's going to be a very, very strange transfer window indeed. Normally we get quite excited about this, but I think clubs and the way that uh, we handle it, particularly at Sky and other broadcasters, are going to have to be very careful. It's something we always focus a lot on, but you just have to look at those clubs lower down the leagues who are just battling to stay in business. There are people up and down the country who are currently not earning money at all, who don't have jobs. And the vast amounts of money spent between big clubs is actually going to be quite hard for, for not just smaller clubs to take but for people watching as well so it's going to be kind of interesting how this one uh, really pans out with some of those big money moves well said Hayley okay let's move on from that though and get stuck into some numbers listeners we want to tell you about a beautifully simple way to showcase and sell your photography PicFair is used by over 150,000 people worldwide. It's a free platform that allows anyone to sell their photos from complete amateurs like me to seasoned professionals, probably like some of you out there in Podland. And PicFair is so simple. All you do is upload your photos, name your price, and those pics will appear on your personal online photography store. Your photographs will also be listed on PicFair's central marketplace, where images taken by people who've never sold a picture before have been published by The Guardian, Time Out and Rough Guides, and they've even been used on the front cover of National Geographic. Alongside digital downloads, customers can also purchase your photos as beautiful frame prints and canvases. And whether you sell them through your own store or the marketplace, PicFair will produce the prints for you in high-quality labs and take care of all of the shipping. So if you've got time on your hands and you're wondering what to do with all of the brilliant photos you've got lying around on your hard drive or camera roll, go to pickfair.com and sign up for free today. That's P-I-C-F-A-I-R.com. Pickfair, a new home for your photography. This is The Offside World with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. Don't forget, it's a countdown special on the Offside Rule today. And we have a numbers round as well. Uh, squad numbers is what we're going to focus on, though. They cause huge debates, don't they? Why does a player choose a particular shirt number? Why did William Gallis wear the number 10 shirt at Arsenal? That's a famous example, isn't there? And for some, there's no rhyme or reason, though, behind them. And for others, there is a point to them and a nice story. Lindsay Hooper, you've been desperate to get this topic underway for about three months and I know you take a keen interest whenever you speak to footballers of course you're slightly bereft of that at the, at the moment but um, I know you often talk about this with uh, the Premier League players who you interview 
Yeah, it fascinates me. And when I've been doing the Totally Football show, and you have people like James Horncastle, who covers Syria in Italy on there, he's often talking about these huge numbers in football that we don't often see in the Premier League. And I'm always wondering why. And I have to admit that I didn't know this until maybe in the last three, four years that in Italy, a lot of players have their birth year as the number on the back of their shirt. So Ronaldinho was 80 because he was born in 1980. Um, and that was when he switched from La Liga and moved to Inter Milan in 2008. And there were so many, and there are so many examples of that. Shevchenko wore 76, Rubinho wore 83. You follow the logic. I'm just going to throw in all the 80s ones in there for us because we're all born in the 80s. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think really that is a new initiative for us in the Premier League to get used to players coming in and demanding shirts or wanting shirts because they've got, you know, look attached to them that are so high. And then you go to the other end of the spectrum. And I was trying to work out who's had sort of the lowest. There are two examples that I could come up with for an outfield player Uh, Edgar Davids, when he was at Barnet, um, he actually asked for the number one shirt from the goalkeeper there at the time. He took it from poor goalkeeper Graham Stack and said that he thought he would start a trend. The trend hasn't developed, Edgar. You're just the only one that's gone and stolen a goalkeeper's shirt. Uh, There is, though, zero. Um, Did anyone find this player? I did because he's he's. He played in Scotland. He did, Hayley. Mm. You you explain mm. this one then. Okay, I will. Well, Haicham Zerowali of Aberdeen, of course, the first four letters of his surname are zero. Zerowali. Z-E-R-O. Um, he didn't have the best of times at uh, Aberdeen. He was there between 1999 and 2002. He scored 11 goals in 37 appearances. He did score a hat-trick, though, against uh, Dundee. He was a, a real standout figure. He had the nickname the Moroccan Magic and Zero. Sadly, though, he did pass away in a car crash just two years after leaving uh, Aberdeen. And um, the number zero has uh, never been used again. We mentioned, didn't we, earlier, there seeming to be no rhyme or reason or just kind of odd reasons why people favour particular numbers. And it's quite interesting. I find it interesting what happens to footballers when they move club and they can't get their preferred number. So there's this big dilemma, isn't there? If they can't get their preferred number, a bit like Nicholas Bentner, who didn't get seven when he went to Arsenal, what do they do? Well, his... Uh, resolve was to change last minute from his squad number of 26 given to him by Arsenal to 52. Of course, if you add the five and the two together, that makes seven. And that's how he became the number 52. The seven was already in use by Thomas Rizicki at at the time. Why five and two? Well, he just simply said, it sounds a lot better than four and three, and I'd never use two and five. Okay, so go figure for that one. The really funny thing was, he did it right before the start of the season, this uh, Uh, squad number change and he put out a message basically saying that he appreciated a good number of fans had already bought their kit for the 09-10 season with the names and numbers already printed up so I'd like to personally cover the cost of replacing anyone's shirt that has my previous number and when you've got an Arsenal side containing Fabregas, Van Persie and Walcott um, I don't think respectfully that he'd have had to shell out too much. Oh savage Kate. (laughs) Anyone else got any more shirt numbers for me? A very similar thing obviously happened, didn't it, with Ronaldo when he built his whole brand around the number seven, CR7. It's it's his thing, isn't it? And when he left Manchester United and then Real Madrid, he headed to Juventus. But of course, Juan Cuadrado had held the number seven shirt since he began his second loan spell in 2016. So Ronaldo, who'd moved there for, what, £99 million, uh, just 
politely asked if he can uh, have his shirt number. And you know what? Very politely, the Colombian said, yep, yeah, no problem. You can have it. Don't worry about it. Mm. I don't really care. So he he then uh, reverted to the number 16 because, of course, when he first was at Juventus, he was 16. So he said, I've got a bit of history with that number. So I'll just take that back. No probs. And here's hoping Ronaldo gave him a little bit of a cut of his uh, CR7 branding. <laughs> a little bit. No that chance. That would be no chance enough so. for us all to live <laughs> off. Um, Glenn Johnson um, at Stoke City. So you think of right backs and you think of what number they usually are. It's usually number two. I suppose if, I, if I'm if i thinking Matt Doherty or someone, they're, they're number two. They're in the low, low numbers. When he went to Stoke City, Glenn Johnson chose number eight, which is a box-to-box midfielder number, isn't it? That's what you imagine with Gerrard or the likes of. So I found that quite interesting that he would opt for number eight. And maybe that was his intent when he was at Stoke that he was going to do a lot more running. Absolutely. Uh, Luke Shaw, he changed his shirt number when he was um, at United. He first came over, of course, from Southampton. Um, He was, as a typical um, defender, a number three, but he changed it to 23 just simply because he had a difficult first season with the club and said he felt much more comfortable with number 23. Uh, and he's still at 23 now. Just quickly, lucky shirt numbers. If you had a pass, any shirt number you wanted to at a football club, what would you go for and why, Lindsay? I, I actually would want 23. 23 is my my lucky number. So can I take it off him, please? Yeah, you can basically take it off Luke Shaw. Uh, Hayley McQueen? Um, I would have five because it's the number that my dad played in as centre-half for United. Of course, Rio Ferdinand had that number as well. So it's, uh, yeah. Some pretty big names have worn that shirt, so I will keep with my dad's number five. Oh, I like it. How about you? Me? Well, do you know what? I was just thinking, I don't, I mean, I quite like to fly in the face and just have a 13 and just uh, and just try and buck the trend. Or I could imagine you maybe doing an Edgar Davids and asking for number one. <laughs> number Following one, yeah, thank you. Shows my... <laughs> Shows what you think of me. Um, uh, that is the numbers and the stories behind them. Um, speaking of stories, this is quite nice, actually, because we've all got a bit more time on our hands. It's the Easter holidays for me at the moment, so I'm not having to school the kids. So it is a chance, isn't it, to open up a book and also to have a look at your bookshelves and reread a couple of things as well. Uh, so next up, we're going to open a club bookshop. Okay, so we've opened the Offside Rule bookshop. Some recommendations from us. Football books, not necessarily by footballers, by the way. It could just be about the beautiful game, couldn't it? Uh, There's plenty to talk about in football literature. And of course, we can't include everyone. We've got a few recommendations in from our Twitter followers, actually. So let's just go to a few of those. Tom S has recommended The Football Man by Arthur Hopcraft, written in and about the first half of the 20th century. But reading it now, most of it could be about today. Day's game. He also recommends The Miracle of Castel de Sangro by Joe McGuinness. Apparently that one's awesome. Someone else also backing up that one as well. Ajax Barcelona Cruyff, the ABC of Dutch football by Simon Cooper. And um, that was recommended by Mark Ellison. Thank you very much uh, for that one. And I'll just finish on another recommendation that we've had in from one of our followers, Michael Bayswater, who has it's given us a few, actually. Cast by Cass Pennant, Hula Fan by Martin Knight and Anything by Dougie Brimson. Uh, so some good recommendations there from our followers. Hayley, what about you? What have you been reading and what stands out for you? I haven't read a book for quite some time. I did a little bit of reading when I was pregnant, but since having Ayla, I have not had time to 
read emails, let alone a book. However, the last book that I read was Juan Matters, Suddenly a Footballer. Obviously, I'm a Manchester United fan and he's very intelligent and has a very interesting story. And he talks a lot about the anxiety that he, he had when he left Real Madrid at uh, left his family, sorry, for Real Madrid at the age of 15, what it was like walking down the tunnel at the Champions League final and how he's dealt with failure as well. And it gives him a really, gives us a really kind of thoughtful insight as to how he thinks as a footballer. He's very humble. He's into art. He has a lot of other interesting hobbies. He doesn't just go home and play football manager and swim a few lengths in his pool and work out at the gym and go to bed. He's got quite an interesting life, but he he kind of goes through his childhood recalling his glory years with Chelsea and with Spain as well. Um, that was really interesting. I've actually got Pele's very, very first autobiography, which was published in the 70s. You wouldn't be able to read it now because it's quite scandalous. Um, some of the language used in it, it wouldn't be published now, but my dad got his hands on that and, and he has a signed copy. So I, I read that wow. a few years ago. Yeah. But sadly, a couple of years ago, I took in all my books when I moved house because I didn't have much room in the new house and I've not managed to get a bookshelf. I took them all into Sky on a book swap week and I didn't take any from anybody. And I got rid of about 20 odd books, um, all football books. So as much as I'd love to rattle through some of the books from my history that I've read that I could recommend, I don't own them anymore, which is it's a bit sad, isn't it? Mm. I ha- I hang on to oh, them all. Well, I suppose that there is something nice, isn't there, in in passing on, definitely. Um, Linz, let's go to you then. Uh, the the kind of first one that jumps to your mind when you think about great footballing books that you've read. I think if you just said footballing book and I wasn't thinking automatically autobiography, I would go Nick Hornby and Fever Pitch. Because I think that's such a good read. If anyone hasn't, I can't believe that there's anyone out there that hasn't, if they like football, read that book. But if you haven't, then during isolation, make sure you do. I want to go on a little bit of a rant, though, guys, about female autobiographies in women's football. Because if you go to the States, there's loads of them. Hope Solo, Abby Wambach, Carly Lloyd. They are big sellers. But in the UK, we had Enia Luco recently that Kate and I, we spoke to her for the Offside Royal Exclusive and we both read her book. That was great. And the only other one I can think of, and I'm very fortunate that I have not even, it isn't even a published copy. It is a bound copy before it had even gone to the publishers of Kelly Smith's autobiography, Footballer, My Story. And I treasure that so much because I know that I was the first person to interview her about that book. I know the person that wrote the book with her, Lance. Um, Hardy who used to work at the BBC Um, and so there's so many things that tie that in and I've also got to know Kelly a lot better over the years um, since that interview Uh, I'm actually thinking about getting her to do a little note in it um, soon but I I was just thinking there's a void there is a void of other lionesses there's nothing for Laura Bassett nothing for Kaz Carney who retired last summer Um, I would love to see more it is definitely an emerging market and you'd have thought as more people engage with women's football, of course, um, a lot of these female players feel like they are in a position where they want to share their story and where they have things to say, definitely. Um, on that vein, I actually thought about Kelly, Kelly Smith's book. I've I've got the published version here. I know that you've got the, um, the uh, original draft version, Lynn's, at home. But along that line, I was thinking about football books and autobiographies that have really made... A difference that have um, perhaps been more revealing than ever before. And the first one that came to mind um, was Paul Lake and I'm Not Really Here. And I've got the book with me and it's still really treasured because I think that this book 
was one of the first books. It was it was published in 2011, written with his wife Jo. And Lindsay and I were lucky to take part in a show called Sporting Chapters, where we got to interview famous sports people who'd who'd written autobiographies. And he was one of our guests. And it was revelatory to me because it was really for me the first sports book or football book that I'd read where someone had been incredibly open about depression about heartbreak. He had endless rehab in his career. In fact, he actually stopped playing at the age of 23, officially retired at 27, ruptured the cruciate knee ligament in his right leg on three different occasions. And whilst that's not perhaps a really unusual football story... The, the depth that he goes into in describing how he felt and how that endless rehab took its toll on his mental health was just astonishing. The honesty, the not worrying about having to be macho, having to be brave because he's a footballer, just really, you know, stark, shearing honesty from Paul Lake makes this book a really revolutionary football book because it's spurned a lot of books since then where players have been open about mental health and their struggle. But for me, Paul Lake was one of the first to do that. One that I haven't got round to reading yet is I'm Still Standing by Fabrice Mwamba. Um, and I have got the book. I haven't got round to reading it yet. So I've, I've actually made a note to myself. I must make sure that I read that book this summer. And I think looking back on those events, um, it will be an interesting take on it now. And also during coronavirus and lockdown to just know, you know, what life means and to appreciate, you know, how close he came um, yeah. and, and what we're all going through at the moment. So that that's shooting up my list to read. But I do like I do like one that pulls on the heartstrings as well. I think Haley probably does too. I do. And I was very, very lucky that my dad pretty much had a library of football autobiographies and biographies. So I, I grew up reading a lot of these books and had an understanding of some of these players that I'd never even heard about, never even watched play. I was, I read you know, George Best's biography. I'd read Sir Alex's before I even went to work for Manchester United. So it's always really handy, particularly when you're you're working, to read up about a person that you're about to go and interview or about to go and meet because you kind of have a different view on them. I read Ian Wright's before I met him to do a, a big interview with him for something um, just a couple of years ago. And it kind of made me speak to him and interview him very, very differently. So as much as they're great and enjoyable, they're really good points of research as well, particularly in our industry. And I hadn't realised I was doing all this research for years and enjoying it. Thanks Mm. to my dad. Cheers. Mm, Love that. Well, hopefully that's going to keep you busy in quarantine uh, listeners do check out some of those titles and let us know what you thought as well and we're going to end on any other business any other business still looking for a theme tune by the way guys i've yet to make my kids put something together mainly because uh it's going to sound awful neither of them are particularly talented at playing music um so uh let's move on to some of the smaller footballing stories or some of the good stuff going on in football throughout the last seven days Lindsay, let's go to you first I wouldn't usually do this, but I'm going to bring up Wimbledon, Kate. I know that we don't often talk about other sports on this podcast, but how about this? And if the Premier League had done something similar, it would have been sensational because apparently, according to a US journalist, um, he's reported that Wimbledon were paying around about £2 million a year for some insurance against pandemics. Um, They paid it for 17 years, about £34 million. And they 
obviously had to cancel this year's Wimbledon. So as a result of that policy, they're set to receive 141 million or something in the region of that. Um, But wow, what a step from them. What about the popularity of football in Belarus? Is everybody watching it? Well, apparently so, because as nearly every single league across Europe has shut down, the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko, has um, basically decided that he's not going to have a nationwide lockdown. He said that um, the coronavirus was a psychosis. He said you should just drink vodka, head to a sauna, that will help you out and football can continue as per normal. So um, lots of supporters not turning out to watch their sides. They've taken the sensible decision that they're worried about their health and they're not going to go and cheer on their teams. But as it's... um, one of the only leagues still playing in Europe, the very little known league, apparently has a surge in popularity because people are tuning in for live coverage just to get a fix of any kind of football. So thanks, Belarus. It is an interesting one, and one, isn't it? And perhaps the most baffling thing about that story is that he still continued to live by that ease, even a week or so after that 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 first came out. So I guess you've got to praise him to some extent uh, for sticking to his guns. But on the other hand, what the heck? Um, Danny Rose has been revealed as the mystery anonymous donor. £19,000 to the North Middlesex Hospital uh, last week he donated, leaving a note praising the staff there. Um, he was treated there whilst playing for Tottenham and on Monday uh, he sent them hundreds of pizzas so can you imagine being at work working hard of course you know just like all of our NHS workers and our key workers um, throughout this pandemic and hundreds of pizzas turning up from Danny Rose so well done to him. Lindsay a final one from you. And well, for those that have missed this uh, news that came out, Son Heung-min from Spurs is having a mandatory four-week military service imposed in South Korea. He'd gone back there. Uh, They're enforcing that. They have to do military service before they're 28. He's 28 in July. So he will be doing that four-week military service before returning back to England. Mm, that's it for this week ladies thank you so much for rounding all that up uh, you can check out uh, everything online from us at offsiderulepodcast.com some super articles over there for you to check out and across the socials as well at offsiderulepod across insta and twitter uh, to find out what's been going on for us social media wise it is easter this weekend by the way so to our listeners happy easter to you um i'd like before you go please hayley lindsay each of you to sum yourself up in the form of an easter egg lindsay um yes happy easter everyone and uh, my favorite easter egg throughout my life has been mini eggs um that's <gasps> not going to change Mine too. i don't know how it sums up my life <laughs> but mini eggs is what i'm going to pass on I am obsessed with cream eggs. I love them and I get very excited when I know they're about to head into the shops. And I have been known before to buy, you can buy like a six pack as if you were going to buy like half a dozen eggs that you would normally cook. Well, I I buy the six pack (laughs) of actual chocolate eggs and I've already eaten one, which is biting off the top and then sucking out the middle and then eating the chocolate after that by the time I get home now. And apparently, apparently... Producer Abby has told me you can only buy them in a five-pack now. It's ridiculous and probably more expensive than the six-packs that I used to buy. Goodness me. 
due to egg shortages for the coronavirus uh, pandemic, of course. Um, myself, just to buck the cabbage trend, I do love mini eggs, but I'm going to go for a nice after eight mint egg. Can't be a good thing. <laughs> That's so classy. I know. Happy Easter to all our listeners. Happy Easter to you, Lindsay and Hayley as well. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Find out uh, how isolation has been treating you and what else you've been up to. Until then, good listeners and to Lindsay and Hayley. Uh, we'll see you soon. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Hello listeners, I'm Caroline Barker, host of the Totally Football League show. I'm joined each week by Sam Parkin. Say hello, Sam. Hi, Caroline. By Adrian Clark. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. And the Bolton Wanderers fan too, not Adrian, but Joe Criddy. Looking forward to League Two. Yes. <laughs> Each week we go headfirst into the EFL to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever Ian Holloway has said now. From Leeds to Luton, Sunderland to Plymouth, Swindon to Stevenage and everything in between. If it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered. Haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy News Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.